travel talk is uh, is over for now. Wait, but well, well, there's nothing else. That's there, it. No, there is. But here's here's where I want to take it. You were talking about wanting roots. <gasps> yeah, no, we're not. We're not Me? done. We're not done. I'm gonna pour another drink though. You did say that. Is this true, or am I making it up? I never said that. You never said that. God damn it. <laughs> Rewind the tape. <laughs> This is Nursing Uncensored. Your host, Adrienne Benning, invites you to listen in on real conversations about all things in the nursing world. This podcast is intended for nurses, nursing students, and allied health professionals, but non-medical folk will probably get a kick out of us too. If you like what you hear, subscribe and share. Happy 2019 to all my Nursing Uncensored listeners. If you've been here before, welcome back. If you are new to the crew, I am Adrienne. I'm a pulmonary step-down and palliative care nurse, and I like to talk a lot. So I'm the host of this show, I guess. Um, I find other nurses who also like to talk a lot, and we throw down. Totally uncensored, yet completely HIPAA compliant. We dig through all sorts of topics in no particular order and possibly with less seriousness than they deserve. But I mean, come on, we gotta laugh, we gotta laugh a little. We continue with part two of another marathon conversation that I had with my friend Dan. Dan is a nurse, a musician, and a fantastic conversationalist. I think when this series is done and the third piece has come out, he will have done a total of six episodes with us, so he's practically an honorary nursing uncensored host. Well, I guess all that's left is for you to stick around and listen to part two of the tipsy conversation we had at my kitchen table when we came through on tour last fall. I'm of, I'm of the mind that, that the grass is always greener. You want what you can't have. You want yep. what you don't have. Yep. Because some folks look, look at what I'm doing and they think, oh man, there's nothing I'd rather do than... Then quit this stable job that's making me good money, and, and I have to renegotiate like, my wages every yeah, thirteen and I'd, weeks. I'd, I'd rather I'd rather just hit the road as and and do my art, or hit the road as a traveling nurse, or whatever, and and just gamble on there being shitty people there for thirteen weeks, or gamble on it being the best experience. But and yeah, there's but there's because yeah, like I said, the grass is always greener, and especially for me coming from the musician side. So you get travel. Say you decide to make San Diego your permanent home, then you it's not like you're never going to travel. It's not like you don't get no. the the perks of being on the road. And what I yeah, for for me personally, I I look at it and I think, well, I have a pretty solid circuit in the middle of the country, you know. Mm-hmm. But what if I just lived somewhere that was like a lot fucking cheaper than San Diego. Yeah. And just and just got my kicks on the road, but then just lived a quiet life with with my little home studio and like lived in like the fucking woods somewhere on a lake and mm-hmm. like and just had this quiet little life and but but then like I said, I go out on the road every every few months or so and go get my kicks and go see my people and but then I just retreat to my little, my little, the, sh- my little Henry David Thoreau shack, you know. Yeah. So do you think you will pick like a permanent job and stay put? Nope. Nope. <laughs> so so how does so how does that work then? I want it all. Is what I'm saying. You want it all. <laughs> so I want to get. Let's talk a little logistical about that because like. 
my understanding is, and correct me if I'm wrong, that to be counted as a traveler, you can only, like, for example, you can't be a traveler in California for three years. Is that um, right or is that wrong? Can you do, because you're doing per diem, right? You you're can, not. Yes, yeah, so I'm, I'm actually per diem. So you're for, not a traveler per se. Folks, this is breaking on Nursing Uncensored here. I'm no longer a traveling nurse. Oh my God. I'm going to have to change the fucking title of this show. <laughs> Dan DeMonte, the, per diem nurse. The, the traveler traveling nurse. <laughs> the traveler traveling nurse that travels. The, uh, what, what would it be? It would be like the, um, this, the stationary traveling nurse. The stationary traveling nurse. Well, okay. So I, I float between multiple hospitals. Got it. So, so you still are working a job that requires a high level of versatility. You're mm-hmm. still having cha- ever-changing assignments. Yep. In a large system. Sure am. But you, are you considered a resident of the state that you live in? I'm considered or? a resident of the state of California. Okay. All right. All right. Nursing Uncensored exclusive. <laughs> um. I feel like we should have like the Dateline, or not Dateline, remember Hard Copy, that show that was on Fox late at night, and they had like the sound of was a this, metal stamp. Did, did this show like, happen oh. before 1991? Because if that's the case, then I never Shut saw it. Up. You're such a, <laughs> reminding me how old I am. <laughs> Cruel, so cruel. Um, so the uh, yeah, so the rule with traveling is, I, I believe it's, so you can't stay at the same job for more than a year. Got it. And but you could, but you so could, like you can re up, mm-hmm. and usually they're like thirteen ish. Yeah, you have to like break your contract with them, like. At, at whatever like 50 something week like 50 weeks or something got it I think it's like maybe like a month out of the year you're, you're supposed to do it for like you can't do it for an entire year whatever yeah. whatever that is uh, there's also a mileage rule where you have to be I think uh, like 90 miles from your home or something and like that's that and that's gonna or, vary or, or so or less people, than people that. should yeah. talk to their recruiters or like yes. talk to talk to your tax agent well don't take it from me folks <laughs> no it's true and, and, and maybe because I know there are people who like travel in like New York City who get like housing stipends and stuff who like you know it, it takes you forever to get anywhere yeah. so it's there's probably some kind of time thing in there too I don't know I don't know the actual rule folks I'm sorry um, so how how did you come upon this per diem job was it just advertised as a floater so, so per this diem? so this hospital I work for has their own network of, of float nurses that go between all the hospitals and I I got certified for the hospice houses as well so I have uh, like six places that I can float and uh, well six facilities with all their units you know sure when I was when I was a traveler there on their on their PCU I had, I had just met some nurses who told me they, they tell you know they, they talk and they tell you about the gig and and it's it's comparable money and it's been good it's super flexible um, so how do you do your actual scheduling like are you scheduling in advance is well, they, it like they you're just, calling in they just started a web scheduler thing which i'm still figuring out but before <laughs> what you would do is you would send in a four-week calendar um mm-hmm. with just the days marked that you can work when, when you would put down that you can work on those days they would just put you on the schedule but then if you get canceled they'd call you the day of and say that oh, you're canceled or, or you're on call or whatever so are you doing I've, all I've really I've barely ever been canceled I was canceled more as a traveler than and then as a per diem float because as a per diem I imagine you're like an employee of that system mm-hmm. it's not like you're a contracted yeah. but I still get paid more than than the staff nurses yeah because well I feel like lack of benefits and whatever yeah because you said you pay you pay for you buy your own health insurance and mm-hmm. that sort of thing but you still feel that this is I mean I'm not asking you specifically about your personal finances but still clearly it's worth it and it's it's enough that you're able to maintain a lifestyle for in now San yeah. Diego for now yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so um, because do you 
well, oh, oh so, so you're asking about scheduling in advance. Mo- most of, mostly when I'm in town, pretty much work full time. I'll, I'll schedule myself for three days mm-hmm. a week. Yeah. Um, 12 hour shifts. Yeah, yeah. 12 hour mm-hmm. shifts. Do you do days, nights, rotating? Nights. Nights, yeah. yeah. Um, Night shift for life. For life, man. Oh, I love it. <laughs> uh, but the basically the way I work the job is that I don't have to worry about figuring out uh, vacation time. Because mm-hmm. like I said, I pretty much work full time when I'm there. Yeah. But then if I want to, as long as I'm able to like work it out with the schedule where... Um, where where it falls between two schedules, where I can like front load my shifts and then back and then load back my load shift. the other one, I, so owe, that everything in between. Because I owe free. them, I owe them a minimum number of shifts. Yeah. And I and I owe them four shifts every four weeks. Right. But I can't work all four shifts in one week, because then I'd go into overtime. So I have to like schedule myself for four straight time shifts. Yeah. So I could do, you know, I could do three shifts in that first week, and then I could work like the Sunday of the next week, and then hit the road. For that and, all that time and, in and be off and be off yeah. for those for those almost three weeks. Yeah. For those, like, two weeks and six days or whatever. Which is know. great. That's really helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, do you ever, like, pick up extra? Do you ever, like, take yeah, the, up well, extra hours? Or, you just saw them I mean, yeah, you the saw minute calling. we started yeah. the recording, they called you. Um, Let's see. What did, what did they text me? Um, they said, open shifts at 11 p.m. tonight. Please let us know if you can work. Um, sometimes they'll offer different different premiums, whether it's overtime or double time or, like, plus five premium or whatever. Mm-hmm on the day of if they're not well staffed but they're they're kind of tightening up their um they're tightening up how they staff a little better now with with the web scheduler and like and making sure that they that they have enough nurses so i want to explore what you were just talking about because this is not something i've encountered before and immediately i started having like hey wait a minute so the pre you know premium pay getting extra to come in is that just for you as a per diem or does that go out to all the it nurses goes, it goes the out to everybody yeah so then how does it work so say okay so say my unit is short staffed okay there are four people signed up they need seven okay mm-hmm. and nobody is signed up for those shifts so they call three people and now those three people that are picking up are getting paid more than the the three or four people that were already scheduled. Mm-hmm. How does that work with like the culture? Like, are people like, "Thank you for coming," even though you're getting paid more than me? Or are people resentful of that shit? Or well, like- for for me, I'm for for the culture. It's not too bad because because they know that on their off nights they could possibly get they the could same. do the same. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um. And and me as a as a per diem float. I'm always, That's all I'm, you do. I'm, I'm always extra to begin with, yeah. even if I'm straight time. I'm always. I'm so always then you're coming. also first to be canceled if they don't need you. Is that travel? Is that travelers fair? usually go before me. But okay. Yeah. So travelers yeah. then per diem and then stay. But your system, it sounds like, is big enough and. Mm-hmm. Healthcare being what it is, I don't think anywhere is really full staffed ever. Mm-hmm. Um, Although California, they have they have the laws that are they do they have staffing ra- staffing ratio laws, um, which I, you know it's interesting. So after we talked about that in one of our other episodes, we talked about like step down is like four to one, ICUs two to one, mm-hmm. med surge is more like what like four or five six something. Uh, five non telly 
five um, non-telly. Three, three to okay. four telly. Yeah. Okay, so definitely based on acuity. So when we're thinking about that, then it's interesting to me because I, as a resident of Iowa, am really fortunate that when I did clinicals at a hospital that's not in the city that I live in, um, I, on night shift, even though it was non-telly, I was taking six neuro patients. And if you've ever worked neuro, you know mm. that sometimes they're there because like they have something minor going on and other times they're there because they're confused as shit and they're a danger to be left alone and when you got five other people that all need you know it gets really complicated even when the acuity's low but um i guess the point that i'm making is that where i work now i feel really lucky because the ratios that we keep in our hospital are Mm -hmm. the same as the laws set by the state of california because they are the the recommended right by, and by so, like every every nursing union or right whatever and because in i work yeah. for like an educational institution a magnet mm-hmm. hospital like they pay attention to those things yep. but i know that you've also worked in hospitals which will remain nameless for the sake of like not compromising your you sure. know libel or whatever but you have worked in places where staffing was not adequate not even close Mm-mm. So, and as a, I remember you telling me that you had this really horrible assignment. You felt, you know, unsafe in terms of the protection of your license and the people mm-hmm. above you having your back. Um, and you felt like you could speak up on the way out because you were a traveler and you, were, you weren't counting on that for permanent livelihood. Mm-hmm. But you said to me, and this struck me because I hadn't thought of it this way before, the people that need those jobs that don't have the ability to change jobs for whatever reason, they're stuck with this horrible fucking treatment. Trapped. Trapped. So let's talk for a minute. Let's kind of, and I'm putting you on the spot. So (gasps) um, let's, let's address this topic to people who maybe are in that spot. Are there things, granted, they're just band-aids, but are there things you can recommend or things that you've done to get through? Talk about that. Cause I don't even know where I'm going with this. Well, when I was, when I was working in, in New York city, working at this nameless hospital that rhymes with, uh, no, I'm not. (laughs) No, don't. Sounds like we're going to call it, um, outside. We're going to say outside hospital. Schmospital, schmemorial. Well, I was working at outside memorial outside. hospital. <laughs> there, there are folks there who... But of course, when you're taking seven or eight patients, like, they're so sharp and on their shit, they're, they're miserable and manic, but like... Because you, you got to be on your shit. Because as a nurse, we rise. Like, people mm-hmm. are like, oh, it can't be that bad. The nursing staff is doing it. Nurses put up with so much shit. We work in such, sometimes such bullshit conditions. But you know what? We fucking make it work. Yep. That doesn't mean that the job is easy. It just means that you've got a crew of nurses that are really expending themselves. I remember, this, this is sort of a side note before I dive before I sort of unpack it. When I was working at this hospital, they had this VP who had just gotten hired and she was gonna be the advocate for the nurses. She was actually going around and checking on stuff and saying, oh wow, I can't even believe this is like this at this hospital, that's gonna change. And then they found some way to can her. And I got texts from the people who I had been talking to. I hadn't talked to these people in in like a year. And they said, just so you know, like, like that, that woman who, who we thought was going to change things, like she got fired, dude. Cause, cause it was almost like I, 
uh, rabble rouse isn't the word, but like I like I got them thinking. It's like, dude, it, it could be better here, you know. Well, because <laughs> and, and they, they, felt, they, and they you, feel helpless, you right? Know? Because you know, when you when you're dealing with such shitty situations for so long, it becomes the new normal for you. Yep. And then when somebody comes in and goes, like it was like the time, you know, I'm I'm not good at IVs just because I don't have opportunity you know most of my patients already have like central lines or pick lines or whatever so i on night shift i'm not starting a lot of ivs when i found out that mayo clinic has a vascular (laughs) access team on every unit yep i was like i want to go to that place (laughs) to that land of milk and iv start teams do you guys still have to do you guys still have to well, yeah, so so at the hospital I'm currently at, they have 24-hour lab. So if yeah, you, if we you, have 24-hour lab, but you guys do now? Because I remember we used to, when I when I when I worked on on rescue, we had to like draw our own like Toby levels. Oh stuff. no, yeah, we still we still do that. I thought you meant like processing of labs. Oh uh, no, no, so like, like they, yeah. they, have, they have 24-hour. No, they yeah, no, they, so you can yeah. so you can call a phlebotomist up to the unit. Mm-hmm. No, like we are on night shift. We are responsible for any blood draws yeah. that are either trough levels or peak levels or if they have central lines because we can just pull off oh yeah 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 Yeah, that's easy but um there are i do know i've heard of that i'm like what so if we want to like if we have someone that we can't find access on or we're having trouble and all the nurses have tried and we've poked this person a bunch of times we can page the supervisor and the supervisor can get a hold of our floater nurses who's like you know this great group of ICU trained nurses but they get called all over and there's only a couple of them on staff at a time mm-hmm. so it's not at all the 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 luxury of being able to call someone so you they there like you could call somebody at three in the morning and say i need labs on this patient for, now for lab yeah for iv team you're on your own okay um then the funny thing is like some units i go and and there are nurses way better than me but then some units i go and like i'm i'm the guy i'm the, i'm the guy who's best yeah. at it <laughs> yeah. it all depends on who you're working with and what your skill set i've had the same experience like i said i can i am terrible at iv starts but if you need labs drawn, like the other day, I drew labs out of a guy's finger. Oh yeah, cause, because cause, he cause, had you know. no access. So I'm I'm starting to get to that level with labs. But if you said go find an IV on that guy, I would be like, because uh, you got to find the straight the straight vein versus just a little bulge. Right. Which can, which exactly. Can give you blood. Exactly. Yeah. And so um, it's it's just it's interesting the things that you become grateful for. So I imagine as you to get to the original storyline, you come into this hospital. And you're like, things yeah. that other hospitals do. And so they started thinking like, oh, maybe this isn't as good as it could be. So then, so what was the, what was the effect of that? Do you feel like you, I, do you feel like you affected any lasting change or? Well, you, know? you, you they say change starts in the hearts and minds of, yeah. of the people who want it. Yeah, um, yeah. Talk to a lot of hearts and minds, but I, I don't know. Um, I don't know how many changes are actually and, and it's hard. Or, and, I mean, and if, when and if, you've and got... if the union is is being constantly tramped down by the yeah. by a private hospital, you know. It's... And if and if they're flushing out executives who want positive change, then it makes it that much harder for the nursing staff. So, yeah, exactly. You know, some people say, "Fuck the you know the slowly eroding away. We need change. We need it now." Did you you know did you see any outlets available for this nursing staff? Like for example, did they have an ethics hotline? Do other hospitals have that sort of shit? The, I don't the, know. The only thing that I had seen, I, I was I floated to a different unit, which was just as crazy as the rest of them. 
Um, and I and I met the uh, I met the guy who was the supposed union rep, and all he told me was that he was collecting data on like real staffing numbers versus the staffing numbers they were sending, which was at like the low point of the day after they'd like discharge everybody. Right, right. And then they immediately painting a picture yeah, yeah, by looking yeah. at only certain snapshots. He was yeah he was he was taking he he said supposedly he was taking real numbers and he was going to try and present them to the union and to the he was saying the union was so bad and so tramped down by the hospital they were going to have to go to the city for unsafe practices. Holy shit, when, you, when your union doesn't yeah. even have sway, yeah, they you got can't nothing. even protect yourself, so nothing. you have to like complain to the Better Business Bureau and shit yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah, that's that sounded like that was where they were going. You were seeing high ratio, like just basically like nurses that are being spread too thin. What about like we're access to... Re- I mean, because we're talking like... One factor sucking in your job is enough to make it dangerous, like having mm-hmm. too many patients. But and just I mean, just the the um, the culture wasn't wasn't so great. So just either. like not a spirit of teamwork or like high empathy for patients or. Well, it was. I mean, when when everybody's pushed to the brink. Yeah, you're just surviving um, your shift. Yeah, yeah, you're surviving your shift, and and sometimes there was even this. It was like there was this constant like the aides against the nurses and like the the doctors were sometimes jerks. I met some really good doctors though there yeah. too. Um, so just everybody's playing for a separate team. Well, because yeah, because because everybody when when you're having to cover your when no one else is looking out for your ass but you. Mm-hmm. You gotta cover. And, you gotta and cover, everybody's yeah. in that same boat. Yeah, you gotta yeah. cover your own ass, and so when everybody's covering their own ass. And when, like, meters are being made and just, like, being, like, brushed under the rug and, like, stuff like that. And ultimately the patients are at the center of all of this. You know, nurses definitely are at the center of it. But then when it comes down to it, like, we're doing things to people's bodies and they don't know what's going on behind the scenes necessarily. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's why it's important that also patients when they see things that aren't right or seem unsafe, they need to speak up as well. And mm-hmm. as nurses, you know, you might need to be careful about how you do it if you're in a place that's, like, punitive if you try to fix things. But, you know, that's why we need to say, like, we send you a questionnaire after every hospitalization. Yeah. We take the feedback as well as the compliments. Like, please, you know, please be sure to send that back. There's a there's a funny thing. Although that, that's a whole separate fucking issue is those fucking surveys. Well, there's the, yeah, yeah. There's, there's a funny thing that I, so the hospital work at right now they have like a welcome video that all the patients have to watch or whatever on their tv and um one of the videos of their initiatives is it's okay to ask Mm-hmm. Uh, for hand washing mm-hmm. and and empowering the patient to say like just planting the seed to the patient that it's okay to tell your healthcare provider I didn't see you I didn't see you wash your hands regardless of if you actually did and and for the healthcare provider to like not take it personally and just yeah. just go foam in and yeah. and it's fine you know just just putting that just like planting that little seed in the patient's head when they first get there that's one of the two mandatory videos they have to watch when they first get to the hospital I work at and you know it's kind of become a second nature to me because we have the foam in foam out you know any unless it's C. diff and then you wash with soap and water of course kids so we did this training the the C3 training the compassionate connected care where basically they talk about things that maybe are missing in the things we're doing like okay here's an example so 
We all close the door or close the curtain when we have to like expose the nudie bits. But patients don't always realize we're doing this. Like they're so focused or they're so nervous about whatever is about to happen to them that they're not noticing that, oh, she's protecting my privacy. So one of the things they taught us, which seems like it would make no difference at all, but it does make a difference, is I say to the patient, I'm gonna close the door for privacy. I'm not doing anything different. I'm just saying I'm closing the door for privacy. Sure. So they are noticing so that when the question on the questionnaire comes up, which, you know, I don't necessarily think we need to nurse to the questionnaire. Yeah. But you want people to recognize what you're doing. And because we have a high level of healthcare literacy and we know these processes and we're trained to and do we're this ju- and, and we're that. juggling a million things. And we're juggling at a, time a million and things. Just, yeah. And just doing them without having to explain but them. But it's like, you know, I might say to you, you know, I'm I'm doing I'm doing this for your comfort. And they mm-hmm. go, oh, okay. People remember that. They sure. might not even notice that you just closed the curtain because they're worried you're about to stick a tube in their you-know-what. So um, that little thing changes how people perceive what you're doing just with the intention behind it. And so I think that it's important that... Where was I going with this fucking point? We're on like our one minute or one one minute one hour set two drinks one hour thirty five minutes and I forgot where I was going with this, but um, we were you're far more articulate than me so keep talking and I'll think oh about where we, we were going. we were talking about how we may these, the patient these, is at the center of yeah it the and, patient's and, at the center of it and so all of these tiny little minuscule details all comes back to the patient mm-hmm. so if you're like slamming doors not being polite, not telling the patient that you're like, I'm doing this for your privacy. This is to make you feel better. You know, if you're not including mm-hmm. them, then essentially you're committing the same crimes that the hospital is committing upon you, sure. wherein it's like you're not looking at the person that's at the center of the care because you're so worried about whether it be the hospital worrying about the bottom line, the nurse mm-hmm. worrying about getting all her tasks done, whatever the the function is. Um, sure, because what, what's your job description and then what's the reality? Like if everybody's got the pressure coming from right, somewhere. Right, from, you know. from whatever's above them. Yeah. And the lower you are, the more pressure there is above you. But then nurses um, have pressure coming from the patients too. Exactly. Yeah. And the patients are the people that we have our responsibility to so it's really hard when you are trying to make all these little hold on the cat's about to knock a bottle off the counter so yeah i guess i guess you know it's difficult when you're in a situation where like you feel like the powers that have control over your working environment and the things that you are allowed to do and not do um it's hard to fight it you can't just especially when the systems like the unions and the managers or whatever the culture and when the culture is broken it's like you've already turned on each other because you're in such like fucked up hard conditions in this just chaotic mess that's bad so yeah this is i mean i don't want to get too deep into the how do you fix a hospital system because this is a massive undertaking that clearly we haven't figured out how to do yet but i was was just talking to somebody about single payer today um which is a whole nother thing um yeah that's 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 like three more hours on recording but but i I think one of the because they you know According to Bernie Sanders, healthcare is a human right, not a privilege. Mm-hmm. And um, and it's when we when we don't have, well, of course, that one of the arguments is well, there are gonna be people who are using it who don't take care of themselves and don't make these choices. Blah blah blah. Choices, choices, choices. 
you could be a hospice kitty tomorrow. You know, mm-hmm. you could have cancer. You could just... Things can happen. Oh, he's so cute. Yeah. Um, my cat trying to get up on the... T- oh, you're trying to get the dog treats off the table? You can have it. Here, let me put it on the floor for you. When a something... It's like Dr. Seuss language. When, <laughs> when, when a something is something that we... Try as we might, don't have total control over... You would think it would be a hundred percent in everybody's best interest to come to some some sort of equal conclusion for everybody, whether it's just a um, a public option with other. Like, you think you'd think that they would just raise raise up the floor of it a little bit and mm-hmm. say instead of oh these people don't get any health care, you would think okay we need to give them. Like the bare minimum to fucking survive, mm-hmm. and then have other options like I think like France has some um, more like premium options or like even even Mayo in America they have their like you can choose to level up. Here, yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they have, they have like they have like a golden club or something at Mayo for like mm-hmm. the big fancy. Don't don't quote me. I've never worked at Mayo, but I've heard from somebody who heard we from heard somebody. We heard in the nursing grapevine. The nursing grapevine. Um, that there are these folks who, who who pay extra money to have some sort of, I don't know if it's, I don't want to say it's like a fast track. A more premium e- experience. Some, some kind of like, like, direct, like direct admit versus waiting in the ED because you have mm-hmm. some sort of premium experience, which you have every right to do in in the free market and capitalist society, mm-hmm. but you have to have some things that are a little bit socialized just to, right. but for just me, to bring up the floor. It's, it's kind know? of like, okay, you are a human being living in a modern society. If your leg is broken and someone who has the ability to fix your broken leg says, you don't have enough money to fix your broken leg. What the fuck kind of society is that? What kind? And you know, yes, yeah, some people don't take care of themselves, but some of the... It's, it's more complex than that. Some of those people aren't taking care of themselves because I can buy a two liter of Pepsi for $2 or less, but I can buy, I can't, but if I want to buy orange juice, I get like a little like eight ounce bottle for the same goddamn price. Sure. So we need it's, to look at the fact that not all people that are not taking, quote unquote, not taking care of themselves, some of them do it because they don't give a shit and they're in their fifth hospitalization for DKA and they're still sneaking candy bars. <laughs> um, but also you got to piece this apart. What is the reason here? Is it because they really don't care? Do they not have access? Do they not have education? Do they not have literacy about how their body works? Like there are literally people who don't know what's in their like they don't understand that there could be bad stuff in their food because it's in the stores so why would something bad be you know like you have to look at what is the ultimate reason is it willful ignorance is it willful refusal we see a lot of patients that do that they don't give a shit if you're threatening to chop off their leg because they don't take their insulin there are people that do that however are we going to penalize the people who are busting their asses working one two jobs full time and they break their leg and they fucking walk on a fractured leg because they can't afford to go to the ed like this is this is a whole this is a whole big thing and i might actually take the socialized stuff out because it is such like i feel like having a five minute discussion about that is so inadequate a, a, a multifaceted thing um 
Another thing I was thinking about is is the <laughs> these these are all just huge topics that we're just like oh, I was thinking about this the <laughs> I other just day. Let's talk about this for um, a second. Uh, addiction and drug seeking and things like that. Um, the how how easy it is how easy it is to just say that these addicted people are just drug seeking and it's like they have a choice that they can suddenly stop but 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 addiction is a real a real disorder that you have to work mm-hmm. through it's it's not like they can just say oh yeah never mind i don't need that percocet anymore like i mean they can try to go cold turkey but physical but dependence yeah is, like yeah I that's mean, real sci- science has already proven that yeah. our brains and our bodies react negatively when we introduce a stimulus and then try to remove it's yeah. the same way people getting fucking caffeine headaches sure. you are in withdrawal motherfucker mm-hmm. like this is not so we talk about people who have addiction issues like they are some kind of weaker lesser creature but yeah. it's like you my friend are addicted to your fucking starbucks if you don't get your Starbucks every morning, you are fucking grouchy and unbearable to be around. Now, don't I, kid yourself. I don't know if there's any... Is there any uh, data on... Well, I mean, well, the, there's, there's... Let's the whole, pull up the National Institute well, the, of Health. With, um, you know, the, 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 the addicted brain to, like, certain... Um, certain sub- substances. Substances like opioids mm-hmm. or alcohol, whatever, versus yeah. even just, like... Sugar, them, them saying sugar or caffeine. food. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm sure it's it, it may be a, a different mechanism, but but still, you if <clears throat> if they if they treated well, this, but this is, but this when is you what, look at it, addictive addictive behaviors, you can also talk. Let's not just talk about consumption. Let's talk about sex addiction, shopping sure. addiction, gambling addiction. Mm-hmm. Um, these are all. This is you know this is fucking compulsive behavior. Mm-hmm. All to different levels, you know. Which of, of course it's dangerous to to say to somebody. Uh, I don't know. Part of the twelve step program is saying is like relinquishing control of a situation to a mm-hmm. higher power. Mm-hmm. Which, depending on the person, sometimes exactly what you need is just to take responsibility for your mm-hmm. own shit too. So I, you know, I, I don't know. That's, I mean, that's that kind, greater that's kind of power a, can be your your will, your you know your yeah. your free will. That's a draw. That's a draw for me. I don't, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know which. I don't know which way to go with that. Yeah, one. I don't know. Now that we're now that we're asking the big questions and, and giving little answers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, that's the name of the t- the show. Big questions. Big little questions. Answers. Little answers. Um, I can't remember where I was going with that. That's, but, oh that's, oh, one thing I was gonna say. So my my friend who um, who's a psych doctor now. Um, he was telling me that a few. I feel like I. I probably brought this up before. Are you having deja vu? He was. He was. Yeah, I'm having weird deja vu. Even though I, I, I have conversations with other people other than you. We, about am these I going to have to give you a list of every topic we've talked yeah, about? Please. We've done too many episodes. It's not, now. Yeah, it's not. It's not a list of questions to ask me. It's like these are the things. This we've is already the shit dis- you're not allowed to talk about anymore. <laughs> <laughs> um, he was telling me how. Uh, back when they were when they were making the the latest edition of the DSM, um, the diagnostic sti- <laughs> for the sti- for the sti- folks sti- at home, uh, yeah, um, they were originally going to make it um, a lot of spectrums, mm-hmm. which would which would normalize all all sorts of things that we see as either I have this mental disorder or I don't. Mm-hmm. If all of a sudden, like the autism spectrum is now 
instead of saying, oh, he has autism. He it's doesn't. not a defect. It's just no. a different a different construction. You could be on the far, far, farthest side. I mean, just like like, like any spectrum. You could be on yeah. the furthest, furthest away side from having it, but you're still on the spectrum even if you're zero. Yeah. Um, it, and, and then that would almost immediately normalize it. Mm-hmm. And they didn't do that. Mm-hmm. But suppose... Allegedly, according to my friend who was in, in that world, apparently there were talks of doing that. And and I think that would have just been fascinating and, and would have been a, a major step forward for for mental health and just a, 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 like a brand new way of looking at illness. Even if it's, I mean, you could have, a, you could have spectrums for any, any sort of illness. Mm-hmm. I could be on the, I have no cancer spectrum. I'm still right. on, you can still be on the can technically be on the cancer spectrum if you right. have zero blood levels for whatever whatever they're looking for. Mm-hmm. But but it's like if you if you're instead of this black and white, um, you're in or you're thinking, out. Of yeah, this I, either you have anxiety or you don't. It right. can, um, like the depression questionnaire is like, oh, is it the blues or is it depression or what mm-hmm. if it's just. You let you sit here on the depression spectrum, and then at this point is where we think about doing some treatment. But you're right. But you're still on the spectrum. You would you'd think that would that would like I said immediately sort of normalize it, if right. if you're able to picture yourself in that versus right, saying that it's not those just depressed like foreign diagnosis. Those addicted like, people over there. Right. Right. You know. Right. Instead, instead of having you, this... Humanize it and make it an experience that people um, don't see, uh, like me versus them. Which, of course, that, w- that would help the... Um, perhaps help... I mean, I, I don't know all the ins and outs of the single-payer thing. Thing. <laughs> for lack of the better... Single-payer situation. That old, that old, yeah, old single-payer uh, dinger. Uh, dingus. In other words, we all have things that are treatable, and they're, it's just the, the degree... Of of treatment, and, and, I, and, I, and I feel <laughs> we're like all the, addicted. And of course, the like the start of empathy is is being able to just um, walk around in someone else's skin for a little bit, as as Atticus Finch would have said. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but if if everything was a spectrum, then we would all be in the same skin, man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just to, to what degree, <laughs> you know. Those are my California hippie thoughts for the. Uh... You're 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 definitely <laughs> becoming one of those SoCal's. <laughs> what if we just like didn't do that, man? Like you know, like what would happen? Hi, I'm Dan. I'm like totally gonna be your tubular nurse tonight. <laughs> tubular. <laughs> Actually, I was I was about to say to a female friend of mine like grow some balls or something like or no I was about to say baller. She said like I'm gonna do this and I was like oh that's baller and I was like. I need to I need to make this not like a Dope. male. So no, what I said instead oh, you're, was you're I saying... said tubular because Tub- that felt like the female the female equivalent of like baller. <laughs> you mean like the fallopian tubes? Like the fallopian tubes, tubes. <laughs> yeah. So now is that I am... what that meant in surfer lingo? In yeah. The 90s? So I'm tubular? so I'm reclaiming it for that reason. I'm giving it a new definition. I'm gonna go to Urban Dictionary right now. That's and like put so that fallopian, in. bro. That's totally fallopian, man. <laughs> That's. I'm, 
Ovarian. That's, that's so. Andrew and I a long time ago decided that the first T-shirt that we would make for Nursing Uncensored merch would be the poop lasagna T-shirt. Oh no. Um, which we'll talk about that off the air because I don't want to rehash that story for people. But now we've got for the, the folks um, at home. That's uh, fallo- that's that's fallopian. That's fallopian. So that'll be our that'll be this that'll be our hats. Make America fallopian again. <laughs> um. Okay. So. As we start to like kind of wind it down, I want to talk about. I wrote down. I'm just getting started, baby. You're just getting started. You don't have to be in St. Louis for another, what, like, I don't know, 18 hours or something like that. We're good. Sleep Um, sleep for eight, drive for. Yeah, uh, right? Five, five, four and a half, five. Um,. By the way, if you need barbecue recommendations in St. Louis, I got it. Mm. Um, Anyway, I wrote down some pet peeves because people love our pet peeve episodes. I don't think I've done a pet peeve episode with you before, but I've done a few It's not going to be very fruitful because I don't really care about a lot. No, like to, to I, the point so, of it bothering me. Okay, yeah, yeah. So here's the thing. So here's but then the you're going to push me on it, and I'm going to. I'm going to. Yeah. So you are. You are a very go with the flow nurse. That doesn't mean that you don't have peeves. It means that you're able to work with them, work around them. But I'm sure you have things that happen during your shift that you go, oh, really? Come on. So I wrote some things yes. down. Oh, sorry, I hit the table. <laughs> I have one. Go on. Um, okay, so I'm going to let you start with that because I only wrote my list down because I didn't want to put you on the spot and have you... Because mm. then it's hard to think of things when you're like, uh, now I can't think of a single thing. But what's, what's your one? Give us give us your first pet peeve. Well, it's not one that people can really control. Okay, that's okay. That's all right. Um, because... All you have in this life is is your own, um, your own experience. With so let's things. say annoyances. What annoyances. are some things that are personal annoyances to you? Well, maybe it's just. I'm a good Catholic. I have no annoyances. <laughs> I only feel guilty about my own existence. Um, I'm a Catholic for but, but, the record. I'm a recovered Catholic, so I can say these things. <laughs> um. But the, again, like this is something that that you'll never be able to change because unless you're able to just like step outside of yourself for like a split second and like think about things from just just that that extra level of empathy. Mm-hmm. So when I'm getting report from another nurse, and but then of course like this is so easy to call me out on. They'll be like, I'm just warning the other nurses when they're like, <laughs> they're like, just so you know, this patient is a total bitch. Or like oh, this, I hate that. Yeah, or like this patient is like so high maintenance and was like the bane to my existence today, and and I hate that and, shit. And, and immediately passing that judgment, which, but of course, like in your in your world and in your shift, rather your twelve hours, that patient who might be the sweetest little old lady or little old man, who who just happened to be high maintenance because they needed some shit, like your your feelings. Are are legit because you are actually having those feelings and and I can't discount that that mm-hmm. happened you know but that doesn't mean that without any objective thought or without any subjection that this person is objectively an asshole sure. or whatever because sometimes it's those personality differences exactly like for example I've ta- I took a patient just recently that I was very nervous because you know I was told that this patient was incredibly angry mm-hmm. and difficult wouldn't answer questions straight was like saying inappropriate things to the nurses I went in there with so much anxiety (laughs) and then it turns out 
yes, this patient was a bit difficult to other nurses, but I, if I, how do I want to say this? I went in there with more fear than I needed because the nurse prior to me had a bad experience. Mm -hmm. And so she was labeling that as the personality type of that patient. Mm -hmm. That patient was upset about a number of things that happened. They probably didn't handle it very well, but... That was not the baseline nature of this patient. So when I went in and realized that I wasn't having the same conflict with this patient, it made me feel like, okay, maybe I didn't need to be so stressed out taking this assignment because that nurse before me had put some value judgment on that patient. So when I'm giving a report, I try to say to someone, like, say, no, 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 let me let me put a disclaimer on this. Sometimes we have patients that come and they stay a long time. And after many, many weeks, we realize, nope, that's how they are. That's how their wife is. That's how their kid is. This is how they are. This sure. is their personality. Sure. But oftentimes, like I've had patients that were labeled as assholes, and it turns out they were scared and end up crying in my arms yeah. at three in the morning. Yeah. Or like they, for whatever reason, have something going on that makes them behave abnormal. I mean... People are already behaving abnormally because we take away their underwear, we tie them to a bed, we have tubes coming out of every important part of their body. Such a lack of control in a situation, and and you cannot take that personally. That's that's sometimes right. the original and sin so, of your of your terrible shift. So I challenge people to do this. When you are giving report, you really do need to try to keep the subjective nature out of things. You can say this person is sometimes verbally aggressive. You can say this person has said this at times. This person has done this. Certainly warn patients about things that are safety, but please do not ever say this patient is a, and then fill in the blank. They are not a bitch. They are not an asshole. They are not crazy. They are not over-emotional, like needy. I don't like the word needy. Like mm-hmm. every single one of us is needy at some point in our lives, okay? And in the hospital, when we strip people of all their independence, of course they're going to seem needy. Right. So that, that doesn't mean... When they have mean, to ask us to go to the bathroom. Right. That doesn't mean that we can't be upset when somebody like pushes their call light for no fucking reason a hundred times, even though you've tried, you know, and they're with it, they're alert-oriented, whatever. Everything has to have a set of criteria around it. Like, Mm -hmm. I can't just say you're an asshole because you're on a call light all the time. Are you confused? Do you think you're changing the channel? Like, are you calling out because you're bored and you think it's funny to run the nurses? Like, we all have to look at these things. But you really got to try to keep it objective. Um, Mm -hmm. Because a patient that may not have meshed with you might love me and vice versa. Um, And so the other thing that I do, I've talked about this before. I think in my episode of like how to keep your cool walking into a shit show, <laughs> one of the things that I adopted a, li- a literal a literal shit show a li- or like... literal and figurative. Okay. More so, this is more so the figurative nature. So if I get report that a patient had like whatever it is, they had a bad experience, they were an asshole all day, whatever. Um, a lot of times I've had nursing assistants when I was a nursing assistant say to me, "Don't go in that room. That patient is really an asshole." Mm-hmm. And I think, okay, first of all, you're telling someone not to give equal and equitable care to all their patients, which I have a problem with. But then you're basically setting that person up to be afraid to go in there. My approach was, if I know that a patient's had a really bad day, I'm not going to avoid going into their room till they've called out. I'm going to go there first. Oh, yeah. Depending on the situation, sometimes people need a chance to cool off. Sure. But I'm going to go in there first and say, I heard you had a bad day. These are our goals moving forward. I want to make sure that what I think is important to you is what's important to you so that we can avoid this happening again. 
Sometimes people don't want to hear it, and they're like, "This fuck this hospital and everybody in it. Do some damage control. But usually, and that's just it. Usually that's it. And never throw your person that you're getting a report from under the bus. Never say, I'm sorry you had such a bitchy nurse. I'm sorry. Just say, I'm sorry you had a bad experience. Yeah. This is what I can do about it. This is what I can't. And usually, if you just fucking address it, people, even if you're telling them you can't change it... Usually they're at least going to respect the fact that you didn't hide from them until they called out three or four times and now they're pissed. Mm -hmm. So I believe in the upfront damage control um, and it's paid off for me a number of times. And so to get back to the original pet peeve, when people say this patient, when you, when they try to set your expectations for what kind of a person they are. Mm -hmm. But, but towing the line of when it's legitimate, um, advice of how to deal with a patient like, and and i think that they're that very can, direct that can whatever, still be you know. delivered objectively yeah. and granted like i give report to nurses that i've known forever and that i spend time with outside of work so maybe i will sit down and be like i hope they're nicer to you because he was a total dick to me all day like that's one thing but i'm not going to say to that nurse he is a blank yeah. she is a blank that's about the best way to put it what you just said like yeah i didn't have a great day with him i hope you have a good night <laughs> right but and also here's what i learned from it you know this is what seems to trigger that patient Mm -hmm. or this is what seems to chill them out but don't i don't need to be scared into oh god like when you know you get report and they're like oh my god this is the worst fucking group sometimes it it is and sometimes it's just because that day was really bad or like you know people will say oh this is a great group and then it all falls to shit the minute that they speak those words so of course um that's a huge fucking pet peeve. Mm-hmm. Can I give you one of mine? Sure. Lay it on me. Um, it, it kind of is along the same lines of that patient is a blank. When the family member is fucking worse than the patient. Oh, when the patient is like this sweet little old man or woman laying in bed and the family member's like, well, she's in pain. She told me. And then you go get the pain medicine and you try to give it to them and they're like, oh, no, I'm not I'm not in Oof. that much pain. I just dealt with that the other day. It drives me crazy. Yeah. Or when the patient tries to, or the family member or the friend or whoever, like, I'm his auntie's uncle's florist's car parker or whatever somebody who's like like i had a patient who was actively this was like when i was a brand new nurse actively dying had not been responsive for days had a brain bleed clearly was not recovering non-responsive no response to stimulus no no pupillary response poor old person i can't remember if it was a the patient was a I can't remember who the patient was, but the spouse of that patient was desperate for any sign that this spouse was going to make a recovery, sure. even though they're already end of life, already actively dying. Um, a family friend comes to visit and swears up and down. Sh- this patient opened their eyes and whispered a word. Oh, geez. The nursing staff is trying to be tender to the family member who's saying, but she saw it. She told me. She wouldn't lie to me. I've known her 20 years. And you want to say to that person, 
Her fucking pupils are not responding. They're, trust me, trust every day that I've been in this industry that I am not telling you the wrong information. Like we have confirmed beyond the shadow of a doubt, there's no recovery, but this person is so eager. It's that fucking friend of a friend of a friend that showed up. Mm -hmm. I was like, I want to kick you out of this hospital because not only are you making my job harder and demanding attention for something that I know, and, and that's even when I even went to the bedside and I said, if you can get this patient to respond, I'm not calling, well, are you calling me a liar? No, but if I don't see it with my own eyes, I can't legally document that that's what I saw. If you can get her to open your eye, I will, if I see it, I absolutely will vouch for that. But until I see it, that poor family member was like, but she saw it. And was that friend of a friend there for the Goals of Care conference when they laid no, it all out of how no, dire this No, however, was? however, knowing this patient and the level of obtundedness they had, there's no way they whispered their mouth was, you know, it's like one of those situations where you're like, science says yeah. that this is the this is what's happening right now. And you can't explain that to someone who, and I don't know, I don't know, is she on drugs? Is she hallucinating? Is she being malicious? Did she really want it so bad that she created that thought in her mind that she saw that? Who the fuck knows? The point is, I then had to re-explain to this spouse that no, in fact, they will not be, you know, so it's more trauma for the, the family member, mm-hmm. more shit for the nurse to deal with when I actually have things to do. It's like those kinds of family members that I'm like, or friends that I'm like, you're not helping anybody here. Nope. Not at all. And I fully believe that, you know, if. You know, if I if I know, you know, if the patient is able to say, I want this family member here, that's cool. But if you're going to start coming in, riling people up that are already in bad... You know, it's the same way. I had a discussion with people online the other day. It was like an online thread. It was like one of the nursing groups on Facebook. And they were talking about restricted waiting or restricted hours in the ICU or intermediate care. And people were like, that's bullshit. That's antiquated. Patients do better when families are present. Sometimes that's true, but you also have to remember that then you have people that, like I've had patients that are confused and they're agitated and all the family member does, they keep talking to them. They won't turn <laughs> off the light. It's like, if, do you like do you understand de-stimulation? Like stop talking. Every time their yep. finger moves, oh, mom, are you in pain? Are you okay? No, but if you don't fucking stop working her all up, like, yes. so you have to remember that not all people at the bedside they're not all not, not all members. not all created equal. No. <laughs> as as um So that's as, my as, big pet. As thing. advocates and caretakers. Yeah, if yeah. you're if you're a true advocate for your loved one, I will make you a partner in care. You can help me. You want to help me boost them? I'll teach you the proper way to do it safely. But please don't be that person that's like you didn't wipe her properly. Well, why are you watching me wipe your sister-in-law? Get the fuck out of here. Like, Or get in here and help me. Or get in here. Yeah, like, don't. So that's my biggest pet peeve. That's, I am 100, I will say it one more time. I'm 100% for families and loved ones being involved in care. I think it is vital to people's recovery. But not if you're going to come in and ask me to get a Sprite for you and the 12 people you brought with you. And you all want to order ice cream off the... No! This, no, no, 
I'm sorry, I am not going to get the movie channel tuned in for you. I'm taking care of your loved one. Like it's so tough when you're when you're in the uh, especially in the end of life, um, especially if it was sudden too. Um, yeah, those just, traumatic just trying, injuries and, and stuff. And of course, yeah, I mean, you're you're in the room and you have the patient there, but then you have base. I don't want this to sound bad, but basically, like like eight like patients going through some sort of psychological thing. Right. Like 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 patients as in like the family members. What I'm right. saying here, like like eight people in the room who are also seriously dealing with the grieving process. Yeah. And. And it can be super disorienting and feeling like there's no control and they lash yeah. out. And the last thing you want to do as a nurse is take it personally. Stand your ground, but but don't take it personally. Of course. But, you know, also that's another thing that, like, I've seen instances where, like, the visitor has become the patient. Because, um, like, I had um, a patient who had a family member that um, was so worked up. I and mean, granted, this was a patient who was... I remember this very well because I, it was their grandparent, and it doesn't matter how many years you've lived. It's nobody ever wants to let you go when you have people that love you, but like this was not a sudden or traumatic injury. This was like someone with long-term dementia that had been living in a care facility that finally was on palliative care and was going to die. Mm-hmm. This woman came in, she was fine, and then started getting herself so worked up that she started to have like an asthma attack, and I had to wheel her. To, I had to find someone oh, to wheel geez. her down to the emergency room. And it's like, I understand you want to be here for your loved one, but you just worked yourself up into such a frenzy that you took two staff members away from the care of people that are actually really sick. And it was right when that patient had been admitted. And so I'm like trying to get them settled in, make sure they've got the appropriate oxygen, that they're, you know, that they're positioned comfortably, that I've done my initial assessment. And instead, I'm paying attention to this like 19 year old woman who is like literally like working. She was fine when she came up had worked herself up into such a frenzy that then couldn't breathe. Which, of course, we have to understand. It's And I don't it's find the, it's fault. The, it's, their, but, it's the worst day of their life. Right. You know? and, I, but, and I totally get that. And I'm not, you know, I'm not assigning value to that person's life or saying, like, you shouldn't be upset because they were old and had dementia or whatever, even though, I mean, I kind of do feel that way a little. But that's not the point. The point is, is that sometimes as nurses, we are thrown up against a lot more than just our patient care. Like, we, when you have a palliative patient and they have literally 20 family members in the room <laughs> and they're, you know... Like, you become responsible for that. So if a fist fight breaks out in that room, what are you going to do about it? It's happened. It's happened on our unit where patients have had to be, like, escorted out by security because they're literally fighting over their dying loved one. Like, they're literally physically fighting. So when, you know, getting back to that thread where they were talking about, like, open hours in the ICU. Get your affairs in order, folks. <laughs> Get your affairs... You, and also, don't assume that every single family is good for each other. Or that, you know, every, you know... Um, I think that it does need to be up to the discretion of the nursing staff. And let me rest assured, if you are a good um, influence on that patient, 
that nurse is going to want to lock you in the room, not out. <laughs> if you can keep your yeah. patient from being agitated, if you can get them to follow recommended medical orders, the nursing staff is going to bring you all the coffee and foot massage. Well, not foot massages, <laughs> but I mean practically Possibly. because we want that patient to be chill. If, but, if you if you can break through the wall of dementia and they and they, and they know you even if they right. don't know whatever else are, is going if on. If you are a positive influence to that patient's recovery or condition, there's no smart nurse who's going to kick you out. If you're being asked to leave, it's because you're either in the way or that patient needs something that you're you know that you're inhibiting or mm-hmm. whatever. Um, so you know, I'm sure there are nurses that don't want any. You know, there are some people that don't want anyone there, but. Rest assured, especially like patients that are difficult cases. You're, if you're a positive influence, your nurse is going to want you. She's going to do everything she can to keep you, he or she, to keep you there. <laughs> he or she. Okay. I, I sometimes I think about um, with with uh, especially dying patients, um, which is a whole other thing. It's it. I whenever. I want to do a whole episode on just palliative care. Oh someday. yeah. When when my. Uh, Love that shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, my uh, when I say it, it's it's funny that the nurses that I that I work with sometimes out in California are uncomfortable when I say died mm-hmm. versus like because because they don't see Versing, it. Versing, she's in a better place. Yeah, yeah, they, yeah. They don't because they don't see it as much as right. I as you and I have. Right. And when I'm like, she's dead. She died. Mm-hmm. Because we were taught that you need to just. Get it in their head. Don't beat around the bush. They died because if... You don't want any ambiguity, especially if they're not present or it was very sudden. Oh, yeah. And they they probably aren't super duper present because it's such a surreal experience that that this person who's been a part of your life for 50 years is no longer... Suddenly, I had a flash in my memory of um, that scene from Fried Green Tomatoes. For you young kids, it's a movie from the '90s with Jessica Tandy. Anyway, Jessica Tandy's for the character. Folks at home. She's in yeah for the folks at home. She's in a nursing home, and you know she has this young friend who keeps coming to visit her and listen to her stories. Well, she gets there one day, and they're like cleaning out her room, and the nurse says, "Oh, she's she's gone to a better place." Or, or something like that, something amb- ambiguous, and she starts crying, thinking she's dead, and it's like, oh no, she was discharged this afternoon. That's the rest of development too. Yeah, I mean, exactly. I mean, it's but it's a it's a run it's a common it's a yeah. common joke yep. Yep. because it's true. And so if you're saying to someone, I'm sorry, she's gone. Where did she go? <laughs> Buster's, well, yeah. Buster's all right. Uh, yeah. Oh, thank God. No, no, no. He's completely lost to the right side of his... He's completely lost the left side of his body. What? <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, some people say that you have to be absolutely clear. Some people are really uncomfortable saying that because it feels so harsh. It feels so unprotected. Sure, you but, know? but you know it's the right thing to do in the moment. Yeah, and, you know, I've also heard that they, they you know, they quote unquote they the royal they, they be they be saying um teach that you know i've i've heard physicians say that they teach you the that when you're give, that when you're that stuff. when you're giving bad news that you say the thing you say you have this or this is happening or this person died and then you stop because once you say that it's going to take them a second to be like what excuse yep. me what so if you immediately go into well this happened and then this and we're gonna do that they're whoa 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 i'm still back at the first sentence you said so they tell you like just pause for a minute mm-hmm. read their face let it sink in and then say and then continue um so 
you know, this this is also where the skill of reading people comes into play. I've had... Which new- not everybody can do. Right. And whether it be end-of-life patients or just, like, your regular trying to save your, you know, not end-of-life patient, um, prolonging healthcare. Um, you know, I've had brand new nurses that have like been in the room with me or like I go in to help them with something and they say, I like the way you worded that. Mm. I want to, I want to keep that phrase in my mind because I like the way you explained that. Sure. And nurses do that that a lot. That's the tool belt. That's also like, again, the collective memory of nursing like when you when you get a tool when you when you get a, a charm or a level that that helps you you've got to sh- you've got to share that because yeah. that could help and so that's happened often with like my palliative care patients where I'll say I'll explain what's happening you know to a family member and they'll they're like oh yeah and and a lot of these things that I say are phrases that I've pulled from more experienced nurses that I'm Absolutely. like oh that's how you should say it. The way I say it is clunky and weird. Like, mm-hmm. it's not scripting, but it, it is that way of talking about things that, that the patient is going to understand, but also you're not using some, like, totally cushy, euphemistic tone. Sure. It's, it's, and, of course, it's not a one-size-fits-all. But, no, no, but no. You, uh, but definitely having... And, and they're not even, like, preloaded lines, but like I said, like, it's, it's just another... Little piece, little, little gadget you could pull off your tool belt. Yeah, to, for sure. Um, and I think that it, it is. You do need to temper it to the person that you're talking to. But in general, as nurses, we can't let our own discomfort. Like, some people have a hard time saying, like, okay, now I'm going to touch your vagina. Like, some people can't yeah. say that. It's like, well, what do you want? Well, now, now I'm going to touch your bottom. Like, and sometimes with, like, older, like, if I know the patient and I, you know... I will kind of tender my language a little bit. I won't say, like, now I'm going to put this in your urethra. Like, I won't do that. But sometimes people need to say that because they don't have the same euphemistic terminology oh, yeah. that you they, do. I remember they, they used to talk to, they'd be saying about, they used to talk to us about, um, you can you can use the patients, like, meet the patient where they're at with their language. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If they're like, you're going to put that in my dick, you'd be like... Yeah. Yes, I am. I got to put, I gotta put it. I got to put it in your dick. <laughs> yeah. You got to be like, I have to put it in your penis. <laughs> right. That's, well, yeah. that's just it. That's just it. Like, you know, with my younger patients, like, I won't say to them, like, I'm very sorry to hear that you're experiencing pain. I'm like, man, that sucks. I'm sorry. Yeah. Let, me, let me give you some pain medicine. You know, you've got to know, you've got to know your patients. You've got to know. And then you have other patients that, you know, like, I'll get report from the nurse. She likes to be called Ms. Dorothy. Exactly. And you have to honor that because these are, you know, these are people that, like, for example, we had a patient that was very, very, had, was in the end stages of dementia and it was I think it was a lot of frontal lobe stuff because he could not say an appropriate thing to a single person that worked at, walked in the room. And his name was, you know, his name was Richard. He wanted to be called Dick. And none of the nurses are like, he's a dirty old man. I'm not calling him Dick. But you know what? He responded to me really well. And I wonder if it's because I addressed him how he prefers to be a dick. Sure. You know, like, because that's, if, if you've been called Dick for the last 60 years, and I start calling you Richard, you might not see me as someone who's simpatico with be like, you. Are, are you. Are you an alien who saw my name on the right. list? And are... But yeah, you, you do kind of meet your patients where they're at. You still have to be professional. But like, for example, 
I had a young patient who had been through some traumatic shit. And because I appear a little younger among a sea of nurses that are like, you know, Old that have children and so well, I don't, I'm not young, but I don't have kids. Like, I'm, sure. you know, I don't talk like I'm my you're, anyway. You're you're you're, um, you're in tune with what the hip youngsters. I'm are doing I'm these days. I've got my finger on the pulse of the kids. <laughs> but anyway, she like wanted to open up to me and talk to me, and so what did I do? I sat down in the chair next to her bed, but because she was kind of like lounging, like she had her feet up, like she was kind of. So I did the same thing. I leaned back. I leaned over to the side. I was just sitting talking to her. I wasn't like sitting with like my knees together, feet pointed at her. Open, like, po- trying to open, open posture. Me- make right. sure that you're. Blah, I was blah, blah, like, blah. This, like this person is young. They're yeah. you know they they're gonna talk to me very candidly and open. Openly, and to be respectful of that, I want to meet them where they are. Sure. Just like if I was talking to an old woman who had been a nun for sixty years, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be more, a little bit more prim and proper with her. So yeah, yeah it's important to know your patients and meet them where they are. That's not to say you're being false to them, no. but you're using different methods of connecting with them, and I think that's really important. I'm a little um, bit of a. Um... I'm a little bit of a dementia whisperer sometimes. I am I, I think, too. I think, I, think, I think there's, I think there's something. You about are especially. It. Yeah, maybe it's because I look like all of their like, especially little old ladies. I think I look like like the like high their, school like, like the high school grandson. quarterback or yeah. like the high school quarterback they had a crush on in like the, yeah, in like yeah. the 30s or something. Yeah, <laughs> I don't so, know what it is. And for me, people at work comment like I've had a few nursing assistants say like that patient's been insane all week and now they're like saying please and thank you. And Well, there's no clever cliffhanger in this episode, but I'm just going to call it there and give your brain an opportunity to absorb all of that. (laughs) There's one third and final part to this whole saga, and I hope you'll subscribe if you haven't already, because I want you to come back and listen to the denouement. Uh, That's French for finale, dudes. Um, I'm not sure exactly when part three is going to come out, and as we trudge deeper into this year, I'm going to try to get things out a little bit more regularly, you know, since I've graduated and all. But uh, yeah, thanks for joining us. If you'd like to check out Dan DeMonte's music, visit dandemonte.com. I hope your year is off to a good start, and as always, I have to say, happy nursing, folks. Here at Nursing Uncensored, we may be, well, uncensored, but we're not unfiltered. Protected health information has been changed and concealed to comply with HIPAA. The things we talk about are from years of experience with thousands of patients, things we've read, stories we've heard. If you think we're talking about you, we're not. Also, we're real nurses here to provide helpful and accurate information But don't take anything we say as fact without doing your own research. Refer to your state's board of nursing, practice acts, and your institution's policies and procedures if you have questions about your practice. Lastly, our very strong opinions are ours alone and do not reflect those of our employers, educational, or professional institutions. Thanks for listening, and happy nursing, folks.